Today's reading is from uh, John chapter 12, verses 12 to 19. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young, don- a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Morning, everyone. Let's just pray again quickly before I start. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to reflect on this story and on your word. I just pray that by your spirit you would be at work, um, that we would hear the message that you have for us this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Have you ever had such high expectations that you thought there was no way they could be met, let alone exceeded? I'm a movie nerd, I love movies, and not just the movies themselves, I love the whole movie-making process. I even subscribe to a YouTube channel that is basically just a bunch of guys sitting on a couch talking about movie visual effects and how they work. Um, I'm just super movie nerd, and so when I watch movies at home, I'll watch the whole thing like a normal person, and then I'll straight away start at the beginning again and watch it with the audio commentary. And if there's multiple audio commentaries, I'll watch them all. And then I'll watch the extra features. I absolutely love it. And many years ago, I remember getting the DVD, like literally the DVD, of The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, and I watched the whole thing, and then I watched the commentary, and then I watched the extra features. And as part of the extra features, there was a teaser for the next movie, The Return of the King. And in that teaser, there was an interview with Viggo Mortensen, who plays Aragorn, and he was talking about the visual effects that audiences could expect for the final movie. And he said this, you ain't seen nothing yet. And I remember thinking, that's a pretty big call, Viggo. Um, Because the Two Towers movie ends with a battle of Helm's Deep, which is pretty spectacular. There's like tens of thousands of orcs and they're storming the keep and it's raining and it's at night and elves come at the last minute, so there's drama. I mean, it's a pretty high bar. So I thought, settle down, Viggo. It's just not going to happen. There's no way that you can exceed my expectations. But that's what he claimed. You ain't seen nothing yet. And here in this passage from John about Palm Sunday or the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, we have excitement, we have expectations, and we have a victory that transcends all of them. John starts with this. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. 
they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. I like the way they put it in the New Living Translation. The news that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem swept through the city. You could almost feel the excitement. The news swept through the city. Jerusalem was a buzz. And in the chapter just before this, John tells us that Jesus was staying in Bethany with his friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Lazarus, who Jesus raised from the dead. And later in this passage, we learn that those who had seen Jesus call Lazarus from his tomb had spread the word, and that the people who had heard about it had come to see Jesus. Excitement had gripped the city. And John gives us clues as to why they were so excited. Firstly, they're waving palm branches. Now, palm branches were gathered as part of the ceremony for the Feast of Tabernacles. We read about that in the Old Testament. And their expression of welcome and joy. But palm trees were also a sign of Jewish nationalism. About 200 years before Jesus, there was a group of Jewish rebels who took back control, and they were called the Maccabees. And palm branches were their symbol. And so then later on, There were various different Jewish revolts against the Romans. And at those times, they actually made coins that had palm branches on them. And they were used as a symbol of these revolts. So palm trees were actually an expression of nationalistic welcome and joy. The second clue that John gives us is that they say, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel. And the word Hosanna comes from Psalm 118, verse 25, and it means save now. They were expecting a king, and they were expecting a king to save them, because that was the role of the king. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, we learn the people's expectations of a king. They say, we want a king over us. Then we will be like other nations, with a king to lead us, to go out before us and to fight our battles. The Jewish people in this time were being oppressed by the Romans, and they wanted that great king that was promised. A king to lead them, a king to go out before them, a king to fight their battles with the Romans. Make Israel great again. I wonder what type of king we might like. A king to go out before us and fight our battles. A king who fights the fights we want him to fight. A king who clears a path before us. Perhaps a path that leads to wealth, fulfillment, acclaim, or perfect relationships. A king that meets our expectations. The people in Jerusalem were excited for a king, but they were excited for a king that met their expectations. And the victory, the kingship of Jesus, is not what they imagined. And we see that in this passage. What is Jesus' response to this excitement? Well, in verse 14, it tells us, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Jesus does something quite unexpected. He finds a donkey and rides on it into Jerusalem. A donkey, not a majestic war horse, not a golden chariot. He rides in on a humble donkey. And in doing so, John tells us he fulfills a 500-year-old prophecy 
from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And to put this prophecy into context, we're going to do a very quick recap of the story of God's people in Israel. So strap in. Here we go. God called Abraham and promised to make him a great nation. And then in his old age, God gave Abraham one son, Isaac, who then had two sons, Esau and Jacob. And Jacob wrestled with God and became known by a new name, Israel. Then he went on to have 12 sons who made some bad decisions and sold their brother Joseph into slavery in Egypt. But God is good and faithful, and he turned that evil into good. And when famine came upon the land, Israel and his sons went to live in Egypt under the protection of Joseph, whom God had made great there. After many years, the Israelites grew so numerous that the Egyptians enslaved them. So God sent Moses to bring them out of Egypt and lead them to the promised land. And God performed miraculous signs. He parted the seas and he led the people with huge clouds and pillars of fire. But they grumbled and turned away. But God is good and faithful. And at the right time, God sent Joshua to lead them into the promised land and he gave them great victory and prosperity. And yet they grumbled and turned away. And they asked for a king. And God gave them a good king, David, who sought the Lord with all his heart. But then it pretty much went downhill from there. Apart from a, good, a few good ones, the kings of Israel did not trust God and they turned the people to idols. And God sent prophets to warn them, to warn the people to turn back to him, but they didn't listen. And so God raised up the Babylonians to invade and conquer Judah and take his people into exile. But even in his righteous anger, God is good and faithful, and he did not abandon his people. But he saved a remnant who returned to Judah and to their city, Jerusalem. And it is soon after those first Jews returned to their land, after their exile in Babylon, that Zechariah receives this word of prophecy. Just imagine what that would be like. You've been in exile, you come back, everything's in ruins, your temple is destroyed. And Zechariah receives this prophecy. Do not be afraid. Your true king is coming. That sounds like pretty good news to me. And when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on that donkey, he is signaling that he is the king that was promised all those years ago. Jesus is not an afterthought. He's not God's emergency plan. He's not plan B. He's the divine plan. He's the promised king. But he wasn't bringing the victory that the crowds expected. If we read on in Zechariah, we see what type of king God promised. In Zechariah 9, verses 10 to 12, we read, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. The crowds greeted Jesus as a king, but they were ignorant about the nature of his kingship. The Romans were an empire of conquest, 
But Jesus is not coming to conquer in the way that they think. God is a God of covenant, not conquest. And Jesus is the king, but he's a king of peace and freedom and blessing. And he's riding a donkey. Now, donkeys certainly aren't as regal as a mighty warhorse, but the differences are more than aesthetic. Donkeys are also so, so slow as to be intimate. Jesus isn't blazing into Jerusalem at pace. He's plodding through the crowds on a slow-moving donkey. They can see him. He's available to them. He's going so slowly, they could perhaps reach out and touch him. It's intimate. Jesus is a king of peace and freedom and blessing, and he takes time for us, each one of us. And time is a funny thing because it's fast and slow at the same time. So much can happen in a moment, in a year, in 500 years. And in the 500 years between Zechariah's prophecy and Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, empires rose and fell. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Greeks. And yet, God's plan was never knocked off course. We live in a world that can seem like a freight train moving without brakes, going along with such fury and speed that the end is inevitable. The problems are too big, and trying to do anything is like holding back the tide. But through all the ups and downs of history, God's plan never gets knocked off course. All the ups and downs of history do not compare to the power of God to bring his promises to fulfillment. God's victory is indomitable. It is unfailing. It cannot be held back. And in his entry into Jerusalem, we see the nature of God's victory in Jesus in such a human way. God's victory is steadfast and true. It brings peace, not war. It is one that is intimate, takes time for us, and it is one that cannot be held back. Friends, I wonder if we feel like God is meeting our expectations. I wonder if we feel like we are living in the victory of Jesus as a community. Does the victory of Jesus feel steadfast, intimate, and unfailing to us as a church right now? Life isn't always easy, is it? And God's victory is good, but it's not necessarily easy, and no one knows this better than Jesus. Because the elephant in the room, as people are waving their palm branches of victory and calling Jesus the king, is that in the next week, Jesus is going to be put to death by those same people. And he knows it. Because it's more than the elephant in the room, it's actually the perfume in the air. John tells us that while Jesus spent time at the house of his friends Martha, Mary and Lazarus before coming to Jerusalem, Mary washed his feet with expensive perfume. And when Judas scoffed about it, Jesus replied, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. 
As Jesus was riding so very slowly through the streets on that donkey, the scent of that perfume would have been in the air, the scent of burial, of what was to come. Jesus is about to face intense suffering. He's about to suffer physically, but he's also about to suffer emotionally and psychologically. He's about to experience deep and cutting betrayal by his best friends. His best mate is going to deny him. He's going to watch his mother weep for him. He's going to experience the wrath of God and he's going to be forsaken for us. Jesus knows that the victory of God isn't easy, but God is good and faithful and his victory is better. God's victory exceeds our expectations. You want a king to defeat the Romans? I've come to defeat sin and death, says Jesus. You want to see Lazarus, the man that was raised from the dead? I've come to raise a whole people, a whole church to new life. You want a king to reestablish the glory of your nation? I've come to make a new nation that includes people from every tribe who speak every tongue, one clothed with the glory of God. You ain't seen nothing yet. And here's the thing. There's nothing the powers, the principalities, and the enemy can do about it. The words of the Pharisees themselves betray them. The words of Jesus' enemies, picking up in verse 17. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. It's as if they look at each other and say, Look, everyone has gone after him. There's nothing we can do. And they're right. (laughs) There's nothing they can do in the face of the unfailing plan of God. Now, we know the Pharisees are not going to give up. They're going to try it on. They're going to rally their forces and stir up the crowd and have Jesus crucified. And in doing so, they will lose. They will lose completely, they will lose irrevocably, and they will lose eternally. Gets them nowhere. There's nothing they can do in the face of Jesus' victory. And when we go after Jesus... There's nothing the enemy can do. Now, friends, here's the challenge that's been rolling around in my head and my heart as I've reflected on this passage. How can we be people of God's victory today? How can we be a people who take hold of the victory that God has won? And last week, Tom was sharing with us from Ephesians 6 about the armour that God gives us to stand firm about the attacks of the enemy. He talked about who the real enemy is. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of darkness in the world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We have God's armour. We have God's power. The victory has been won. And this passage in Ephesians has these really powerful bookends. 
As Tom showed us last week, it starts with this statement, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And it ends with this, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. The victory has been won. So pray about everything. Simple, right? By the very grace of God, I've belonged to Jesus all my life. Um, but about two years ago, our small group did a study about the Lord's Prayer. And I realized that I hadn't really been praying the way that Jesus taught us. I'd been praying these pretty small, caveated prayers. Lord, it'd be really nice if my meetings didn't run over time today. But if you're busy, I'll just sort it out on my own. Thanks. So I was really challenged by the study that we did in small group. And then I went to the States for the year, and that required a lot of prayer. And while I was there, I read this book, The Circle Maker, which is about praying in faith of who God is, of really reflecting upon the promises of God, the story of God, his steadfastness, and praying in response to that. And it really changed my life. Maybe prayer is hard for you, like it can be hard for me. If it is, I'd encourage you to borrow the book. We've got a couple of copies in the library at the back and read it. And let God remind you of the power of his victory. Because the victory has been won. So pray about everything. One of the things that I loved about American culture was the enthusiasm, the drive to just get after it and grab life and take it. Um, we're a bit more laid back in Australia, <laughs> a bit more disengaged. We don't like to be disappointed. And it may not be very Aussie, but I think we need to invite God to exceed our expectations anew. We need to go after Jesus and invite him again to be the king of our lives and to be the king of this community here at Mary Creek. I wonder how that might change our community if we invited God to exceed our expectations right here and now at Mary Creek Clifton Hill. How might that impact the way we bear with one another through the messiness and unease and sadness of life? How might that impact how we encourage each other how might that impact how we talk to our friends about our faith in Jesus? How might that impact who we invite along to church this Easter? How might that impact how we pray? Now, I don't have the answers to all of these questions. Perhaps that's something you could chat about over morning tea. But I did want to share with you one prayer that I've been praying this year. After reading the Circle Maker book, sort of made a commitment to have a, a small list of prayers that I pray all the time. And so in this year, 2023, I wanted to have four things, and three of them are personal, and one was for our community. And so I asked God, I was like, what should I be praying for, for our community? And God said, for new believers to join Mary Creek. I said, well, that sounds like a good idea. How many? And God said, 50. And I said, sorry, 15? And God said, no, 50, five, zero. So I've been praying for 50 new believers to join our community. Now, I want to be clear. I don't think God is a slot machine. I don't think we put in our prayers, and once you accumulate enough, you get a prize. 
I don't think that's how it works. But I do think that prayers change us and the world. And every time I pray that prayer about 50 new believers, I'm reminded that God's power is bigger and better and stronger and more transformative than anything I can imagine. Big prayer changes things. And God's victory exceeds our expectations. So pray about everything. In John's account of the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, we get a glimpse of this true victory of Jesus, the victory that he's going to bring to completion before the week is done. And John gives us this stark contrast between the excitement of the people who expect one sort of king and the transformative victory of the true king. God's victory is better than we could imagine. And when we go after Jesus, there is nothing the enemy can do. Friends, let's not settle for a God who meets our expectations. Let's not settle for a small God. Let's be bold people of victory. Let's pray some big prayers for our church, our community, and for ourselves. Let's invite God to exceed our expectations anew today. Please join me in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful, encouraging story that we read about in John 12 of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We thank you that Jesus is a king that takes time for us, that has a plan that never gets thrown off course. And we pray as a community that you would help us dig deeper and learn more about what it means to be people of your victory. We invite you, Lord, to exceed our expectations for your glory. And we thank you that you are with us through all the ups and downs. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.